This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now, here's Mary Stirk. Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about end of the year tax tips for the year 2020. The end of the year is rapidly approaching and you still have time to influence your tax bill. Now, there are some things that you can wait to do until next year, right before you file your taxes, but a lot of the major tax strategies have to be done inside the calendar year. So let's talk a little bit about what some of those are and how you can try to minimize the amount of taxes that you pay Because I don't know about you, but I certainly think that keeping as much of your own money in your pocket is kind of the goal. (laughs) All right, so when it comes to taxes, the first thing that I wanna talk about is just a little bit of a basic understanding because when I talk to people, I often see confusion with them in understanding how the tax system actually works. So you've all heard of tax brackets and you know that the more money you make, the higher tax bracket that you're going to be in. But what not everybody realizes is that tax brackets are kind of like silos, little silos. You have to fill up your silo before you get into the next silo. So for instance, if you're married and filing jointly, then your first silo that is taxed at 10% is any income that your family brings in up to $19,750. That silo of $19,750 is taxed at 10%. Then you move to the next silo, and the next silo has a 12% bracket. So you get to fill up your 12% bracket, and the money that you make between $19,750 and $80,250 is taxed at 12%. So you don't even get into the next silo or into the next bracket until you make over that $80,000 number. Some people think that you just add up all your income and whatever the total number of income is, that's the bracket number that applies to everything. That's not how it works. You fill up your silos with income and you tax them at that rate. And so you end up having what's called a blended overall rate. Some of your money might be taxed at 10%, some of your income taxed at 12%, some of it taxed at 22, some of it taxed at 24. That's how the tax system works. And that's kind of an important piece to understand when you're trying to do something called manipulate your brackets. And manipulating your brackets means you're trying to set your income up so that you stay inside a certain bracket and don't bump into the next one. So there's some techniques that we're gonna talk about today, like bracket bumping, that's talking about bumping up to the top of your bracket or to the top of the silo, but not bumping into the next one. All right, so a couple of things that I wanna make sure I'm really clear on. When it comes to taxes, there are things that you get deductions for, and then there are things that are called credits. Deductions means you get to take that amount and deduct it from your total income before you figure out how much of your money is in each bracket or filling up your silos. So let's say you had $100,000 of income and you can deduct 10,000. Now you only have $90,000 that you're going to be trying to fill up your different silos with to get to your brackets. 
A credit is something completely different. A credit happens after you've already figured out your taxable income and you know how much tax you owe. A credit says, well, you don't have to pay all that tax. So let's say your tax bill was $10,000 and you got a $1,000 credit. You actually get to take that $1,000 credit off the tax you owe. And instead of $10,000, now you only owe $9,000 in taxes. So credits are my favorite. <laughs> because <laughs> they're like direct freebies of not having to pay your taxes. So understanding the differences between deductions and credits is kind of just some good base knowledge for you to be able to see how some of these tax strategies I'm going to talk about can influence your taxes this year. Okay, this has been a very unique year from a tax perspective because of the pandemic and because we had some legislation passed early in the year called the CARES Act. One of the tax strategies that the CARES Act allowed is for people who are over age 70 and a half or 72, depending on what year you became those ages, you can cancel your required minimum distribution. Now, many of you already have done that this year, but there's a huge amount of people who wait to take their required minimum distribution until late in the year, even the last week of December. So if that's you and you weren't even aware that you could waive your required minimum distribution this year and you don't have to take it, then you can think about not taking it. Now, why would you not take it if you don't need it? then you cannot take it this year and avoid the taxation on it. Now, a lot of people say, well, if I don't take it this year, do I have to double up and take two of them next year? The answer is no. This is a free pass for the year. You can just not take your required minimum distribution if you don't want to. There's no negative impact of that and you can avoid the taxation that comes with that. So cancel that if you don't need it as a strategy to reduce your taxes this year. Another thing that came with the CARES Act was a unique kind of hardship withdrawal. And a hardship withdrawal means coming from your retirement money, so like your 401k. Most plans, not all of them, but most plans have adopted this CARES Act legislation that says if you are working, you can actually withdraw up to $100,000 if you qualify for a CARES Act hardship. And basically that means you've had a negative financial impact due to the coronavirus. So if that's you, you can take $100,000 out of your 401k and you can avoid the 10% penalty. So that's nice, that's a 10% savings off the bat. Now, you can pay that back, but if you don't pay it back, you can actually spread the taxes that you owe on it over three years. So a third in 2020, a third in 2021, and a third in 2022. Why is that important? Because if you need that money, it's really nice to be able to spread your taxes out over that time. If you've had a financial hardship because of COVID, this is really a beautiful provision of the CARES Act to get your own money into your pocket with some tax relief in terms of spreading it out over time. So be aware that you can do that. Another tax strategy that I think everybody is probably thinking about is have you maximized your retirement plan deductions? Now, for people who are working in a 401k, if you are 
under age 50, you can contribute up to $19,500 into your 401k. And if you're contributing that on the traditional side, then you're able to deduct that amount. So that's one of those deductions that I was talking about earlier. If you're over age 50, you can do an additional $6,500 on top of that, and that's what's called a catch-up provision. One of the benefits of getting older, once you hit 50, you get to have these catch-up provisions. So if you haven't already maxed out your retirement plans, this is the time to think about doing that. 401ks have to be maxed out before the end of the calendar year. There's no carryover into next year. So if you're gonna do that, you wanna get it in now. Some people who are self-employed or um, like maybe have a one-person business, a sole proprietorship, you might be able to make your entire 401k contribution in the month of December. But again, it has to be in by the end of the year. So be thinking about maximizing those. Now, there are some types of retirement plans that you don't have to do before the end of the year. So let's take a SEP IRA as an example. That's a for a self-employed person and it can be something whether you have just yourself or more than one employee in your business but a SEP contribution you have until your tax filing deadline to make that contribution so you don't have to get that one done by the end of the year same with regular IRA contributions traditional IRA or Roth IRA contributions you don't have to make them by the end of the year you have until your tax filing deadline to do that so keep that in mind. The big deadline that we're talking about is maxing out those 401ks because that's the one that has to get done before you hear the New Year's bell ring. Okay, another thing that people don't always think about when it comes to tax strategy is thinking about purchasing before the end of the year. So what do I mean by that? Let's say that you have a business, a small business, a large business, whatever size business it is, you can purchase some things this year to be able to deduct the cost of them this year to drive this year's tax bill down. So whether it's office supplies, whether it's things you're gonna need early next year, whether it's that you're gonna buy a vehicle and you want to get that vehicle into this year's tax return, Whatever it is that you think you want to do or are going to be purchasing sooner rather than later, think about purchasing it this year and getting the deduction on your books this year instead of waiting till next year. Congratulations to Mary Stirk for being named three years in a row to the 2020 Forbes list for Best in State Wealth Advisors and Top Women Wealth Advisors. Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today we're talking about end-of-the-year tax tips to get implemented before the end of 2020. So we've covered the difference between a deduction and a credit. We've covered how brackets actually work, like little silos that you fill up. And we talked a little bit about maximizing some of your deductions, like getting your 401k deduction in, getting business purchases made. Now let's go ahead and focus on some investment related tax strategies that I think will be helpful for people when they're focusing on their portfolios between now and the end of the year. Okay, one of the things that not everybody understands is that a mutual fund 
typically will kick off something called a capital gain at the end of the year. Now, not all of them do, and not all of them do it at the end of the year, but many of them do. What that means is this, the mutual fund is a basket of different stocks that are being bought and sold during the year. When they're bought and sold during the year, then inside the fund itself, it's creating gains if they sell something at a gain or losses if they sell something at a loss. There's a lot of buying and selling happening during a year in a mutual fund. So what happens is most of the time towards the end of the year, the mutual funds are saying, okay, we have this much gain in our fund. We need to push that tax ramification out to the shareholders and they're gonna each pay some gain on their shares. So it's truing up the tax gain kind of each year as you go based on what's happened inside the mutual fund. Now you can't control this. If the mutual fund is gonna kick off a capital gain, that is outside of your control. This, the frustrating thing for some investors is this, is that you can even have a loss in your mutual fund and still get a capital gain kicked out that's taxable. That can happen in circumstances where there might have been gains early on, but the fund ended up with a loss towards the end of the year. Now, markets right now, as I record this, are doing well. And so hopefully that's not the case for you, but many capital gains are being kicked out. So what this means is, you might think that by looking at something in say October or early November, you have a pretty good idea of what your tax picture is from your portfolio. But come mid-December, when capital gains have kicked out for many of the funds, that tax picture could be completely different than what you looked at two months ago. So if you have money in a non-qualified investment account, not an IRA, not a Roth IRA, but focusing specifically on the non-qualified accounts, if you have money in those, you're gonna wanna go look at what your realized gains are for the year. There's two kinds of gains that you can have. There's a short-term gain and there's a long-term gain. A short-term gain means it's on something that's been held less than a year, and short-term gains are taxed like ordinary income. They go right to those little tax bracket silos and fill them up. Long-term gains are something that's been held longer than a year, and long-term gains are taxed at capital gain rates, which are generally lower than your ordinary income bracket rates. So there's some tax advantage to the long-term gains. So, the things to be looking for in your portfolio when it comes to understanding this capital gains happen in a variety of ways. The first thing is, if you're planning to buy some mutual funds between now and the end of the year, before you pull the trigger and buy it, you wanna find out whether or not they've already paid their capital gain out for the year or if the date is still in the future. You could purchase a mutual fund today and have the capital gain payout happen a week from now, and basically you're getting hit with the capital gains for the entire year of the fund, even though you only hold, held it for a week. So be really careful when you buy funds at the end of the year to make sure you're not buying into something with a big embedded tax issue so that you don't get hit with that at the end of the year. Another thing that you want to be looking for is if you have had those capital gains pay paid out already, what can you do to minimize the impact? So this is what we call tax loss harvesting, and this is a really good strategy in non-qualified portfolios to be doing. Tax loss harvesting says this, 
you have gains in your portfolio, they're gonna cause taxes. Do you have any losses somewhere else in the same portfolio or another non-qualified portfolio that you own that if you trigger the loss intentionally could kind of wash away that tax impact? So keep in mind there are some rules. Short-term gains can be washed by short-term losses. Long-term gains can be washed by long-term losses, but you cannot wash short with long. So you can't say, oh, I'm gonna get rid of some of these short-term gains by taking a long-term loss. It doesn't work that way. You have to wash short with short and long with long. Again, that comes back to how long you held it. So let's say that you have had $10,000 worth of long-term capital gains hit in your portfolio. If you have a holding, let's say a particular stock or a different fund that has $10,000 worth of losses in it, if you sell that before the end of the year, then the loss washes out the gain and you can end up with a zero net tax impact. So that is what tax loss harvesting is. It's taking the losses intentionally to capture the tax loss in order to minimize the tax impact of other gains that are out there. Now, does that mean you should just go sell everything that you own that has a loss in it? No, I'm not saying that. That's not blanket advice that I'm giving. I am saying that strategically looking at the gain and losses in the holdings inside your portfolio is advantageous before the end of the year in order to see if you can wash any of those gains with some losses and do it very intentionally and strategically. Now, if that's not your game and you don't know or feel comfortable how to do it, that's when to get your financial advisor involved. If you're not quite sure what to be looking for, give us a call and we'll take a look at your portfolio with you and help you understand where that tax strategy might be deployed before the end of the year. Okay, another thing that you can be thinking about when it comes to these capital gains that's kind of interesting is you could decide to pick up some capital gains on purpose if you happen to be in a lower tax bracket. So let's say that you're in a 10% or a 12% tax bracket and you still have some room in your silo, you might look at your portfolio to say, do I wanna trigger some taxes this year? Do I wanna take some of these gains? And if I do, do them before the end of the year. Now, why might you wanna do that? Well, you might wanna do that if you think that tax brackets are likely to go up in the future. We don't know exactly what's going to happen still with the presidential race is the time that I, you know, am recording this. We don't know what's going to happen with the Senate runoff race in Georgia in January. So we really don't know what the potential tax changes are going to be as a result of the next presidential administration. So if you think that tax brackets might go up in the future, you might want to try to trigger some gains now if you're at a lower bracket. Now, the... It's an if, and the other thing about it being an if that's kind of interesting is not everybody realizes that the current brackets that we have now are gonna sunset in 2026. That means that the lower brackets we have now are set to go away in 2026, even if there is no active changes by Congress between now and then. So they're temporary brackets that we're in and they're already planning to go up. So I think it's a pretty good bet to say taxes are likely to go up sometime in the future. So if you think that, that's where triggering some gain this year could be advantageous to you. Another thing that goes along with that is thinking about potential Roth IRA conversions. 
A Roth conversion means taking money that's in a traditional IRA that hasn't had taxes on it paid yet and converting it to the Roth IRA. When you convert it, you pay the taxes now, but inside the Roth IRA, if you follow all the rules correctly, the money is going to grow tax-free and come out tax-free in the future. So if you're looking at your retirement life, if you're looking at your future financial life and saying, well, you know, maybe I'm going to be in about the same tax bracket when I retire. I've done a good job saving. I've done a good job with building my wealth. And I'm probably going to have a similar income when I retire as I do now. I'll probably be in the same tax bracket. Well, if that's the case, then you might want to trigger some of those taxes now while these brackets are where they are in order to build tax-free income for later when you are going to be in retirement. So here's the thing with that. Roth conversions only make sense for some people. They don't make sense for everybody. And Roth conversions really only make sense if you have cash on the sidelines to be able to pay the conversion taxes. Because if you take money from your IRA and convert it, it goes right to those little silos and fills up more brackets for you. So it doesn't mathematically work out for people to take the tax money from the IRA too, that doesn't tend to work out. So we usually recommend that if you're going to do a conversion, you really must have cash on the sidelines in order to be able to do it. Okay, last thing that I want to mention is charity. So the CARES Act gave us a unique charitable deduction opportunity where everybody can do an additional $300 worth of charitable contribution and get the deduction for it on your taxes this year, even if you're just doing the standard deduction. The standard deduction means you're not itemizing things. And normally in order to get advantage or take advantage of big charitable deductions, you have to itemize. This year with the CARES Act, you can take the standard deduction and get an extra $300 deduction for contributing to charity. So at this time of holiday giving, think, think about that. Think about winding that into your plan, and it's just a great end-of-the-year tax strategy to help you out. All right, I hope this has been valuable. I hope this has been great information to you as you're thinking about 2020 and the year end and getting your tax strategy wound in. And if you have questions, you're sure welcome to reach out. Otherwise, thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk. The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can ensure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Member FINRA SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated. Neither Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated nor its representatives provide tax or legal advice. You should consult a qualified attorney or tax professional to answer your specific questions. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, 57049 and can be reached at 605-217-3555. Forbes Best in State Wealth Advisors list includes 10 recipients per state. The award is based on qualitative and quantitative data. 
rating thousands of wealth advisors with a minimum of seven years of experience and weighing factors like revenue trends, assets under management, compliance records, industry experience, and best practices. The word is not based on portfolio performance or client reviews. There is no fee in exchange for rankings. Third-party rankings and recognitions are no guarantee of future investment success and do not ensure that a client or prospective client will experience a higher level of performance or results. These ratings should not be construed as an endorsement of the advisor by any client nor are they representative of any one client's evaluation. Mutual funds are sold by prospectus only. Before investing, investors should carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of a mutual fund. The fund prospectus provides this and other important information. Please contact your representative or the company to obtain a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully before investing or sending money.